Will McKenzie show his staying power at a mile and a quarter in the big one? And if Midnight Bizu and Bricks and Mortar both win their Breeders' Cup races, and who'll be the shocking upset of this year's Breeders' Cup? It's time to handicap the Breeders' Cup on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll sack. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch, it's a hit-moving finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can get us as well on YouTube, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com or your podcatcher app. And of course, in the listen tab at ESPN.com. And we want to make sure after the Breeders' Cup that you vote for us in the Fan Choice Awards at America's Best Racing. And yes, Best Racing Podcast is one of those categories. So you know what to do, ITG Army. If you like this show, vote for us in the Fan Choice Awards at AmericasBestRacing.net. It is finally here, the World Championships, the Breeders' Cup, for the 36th time and for the 10th time at Santa Anita. It's time to handicap the World Championship. And for that, we bring in two of our experts, one we've had regularly and one for the first time. We welcome back Ed DeRosa of the Brisnet Handicapping Service. And for the first time, we bring in Molly Jo Rosen. We followed her on Twitter a lot. It's good to finally bring her onto the show. So again, we said we're not going to handicap all of these races. We're going to pick the seven or so that we think have really good competition, and we'll go with those. And we'll start on the Friday card with the Juvenile, a race that has been diminished a bit with the defection of one of the early favorites, Maxfield, for Godolphin. So we're really left with three big horses here to talk about, Dennis's Moment, The Favorite, Eight Rings, and Scabbard. You know, Dennis's moment has been very consistent through his rider in his debut and then just missed a track record at Ellis Park. Can you really call a two-year-old an overwhelming favorite? What do you think here? Let's start with Molly. I think it's a wide-open race. I could not touch a horse at 8-5, to five, not as you said, not with two-year-olds, you know, making third and fourth, fifth career starts. I mean, to me, that just is crazy. And I love him, think he's phenomenally talented, could wind up being the second coming of Secretariat. Obviously, he's a freak of nature, having won his two, really his two, you know, starts. I know he's got that, you know, through the rider in the debut. But, you know, he's won by 21 lengths. I mean, you can't knock a horse like that. Dale is great with these types of horses. He's prepped well. He's looked great. You know, you take nothing away from him, but eight to five in a, Eight horse field because uh, Maxfield scratch. I can't touch a horse at eight to five. Um, I do think it is a really wide open race. I'm going to look at other horses. You know, take nothing away from Eight Rings, also a horse who has done nothing wrong, also a horse who has lost a jock. I do think a horse like Scabbard for me is more interesting. This is a horse who you know breaks his maiden by five, then steps up and has some has some learning to do. And Eddie Keneally is great with these types of horses. Uh, and I, I think if you're looking for a price and you don't want to go towards one of the more you know obvious horses, for me, a horse like Scabbard, who's on the improve, has really done nothing wrong in his career, but you know seems to have a, a maybe have to overcome some some tendencies to find troubled trips. A horse to me like Scabbard is super intriguing. Ed, what do you think? Uh, well, we're uh, we're going at it right off the rip because I'm all in on Dennis's moment, and he's uh, the, the only horse I'm using. Molly Joe sung his praises appropriately, and with the scratch of Maxfield, 
unfortunately, his, his backers aren't even going to get eight to five now. So if that wasn't good enough for you, Molly Joe, I'm sure you're you're not going to at all be happy with even money or six to five. But th- this horse, uh, you know, the maiden win at Ellis just blew everyone's doors off. So what can you say? Super professional in the Iroquois, though. Just de facto second career start. Irad got a handle for this horse, got to test drive him, so to speak. And we've seen Dale ship out to the juvenile at Santa Anita and perform well with not this time. It was second to horse I had a lot of respect for, Classic Empire. So uh, I think he's squarely the horse to beat. And in a very competitive Friday card, he's my big single of the day. I'm with Molly. I think Scabbard had some trouble in finishing second to Dennis's moment in the Iroquois, and I think it's going to come down to those two. I'm not discounting Dennis's moment, but I think Scabbard has to be more seriously considered than five to one. Let's move to the Philly and Mare sprint. I'm really torn here about Kofefe when we get to the Saturday card. I mean, she won the Edgewood and the Miss Preakness. I don't know. Maybe I'm not as impressed as other people are by the way she runs. Ed, can she run her race from the rail? Uh, she can. For me, the the bigger question, and the rail is a question, uh, the bigger question is, is shipping out west, and she is not coming for a barn that has been out there very long. Uh, Dale, with Dennis's moment, who we talked about, shipped out about a week ago. Steve Asmussen's been there with his crew for several weeks, so... Uh, I am eager to see how horses uh, on Friday do that hadn't shipped in versus the ones that have been there a while, local horses, et cetera. Uh, if I perceive a, a bias in that regard, that might sway me off her as the favorite. I will say on raw talent, I absolutely think she is the best filly in this field. Her test was incredible, and her tightener at Churchill, albeit against lesser, was what you would want to see coming into a race like this off a race like the test. So I'm a believer, but keeping an open mind, and this is one of those cases where I am going to use information as it becomes available throughout the Friday card to see how liberal liberal I want to use her on Saturday. Molly, what do you make of Come Dancing? Come Dancing comes to the eighth pole. She's got a two-and-a-half length lead. Don the Destroyer next toward the inside and third and special relativity. Come Dancing. Oh, she came running today. Despite that start, she waltzed home. Five to two on the morning line. I think she had a much better first half of the year than the second half, but clearly has talent. What do you make of her? You know, she's obviously, you know, a, a really, really lovely horse. It's cool to see Carlos Martin on on the big stage. I, I've known Carlos a real long time, and he's just a phenomenal horseman. And um, she did have, you know, a crazy good first half of the year. Her, her win margins were certainly bigger, flashier. There was certainly more space there. But running second to, you know, Midnight Bizu in the Fips, you know, other than that, you know, she's come back, her ballerina was beautiful. Her gallant bloom was beautiful. I do worry a little bit about whether or not she can run in a straight line. And that, especially at Santa Anita, we've seen over the years, uh, what was her name? The filly that ran second to um, Beholder in the uh, distaff, I want to say executive privilege. You know, we've seen horses who may not be able to run in a straight line, not get there you know, in time uh, at Santa Anita in the past. And that concerns me a little bit when you do have other really consistent fillies in here, like Kofefe. 
Ed, do you see a potential long shot here in this race? Because I'm not loving Come Dancing. I like but don't love Kofefe. What about Dawn the Destroyer, who'll be coming from the back? And I guess you were saying you got to see the Friday card to see whether anyone really can close at Santa Anita. But what do you think about a long shot here? That's actually part of my struggle with to do with this race, because on paper, to me, and visually, Kofefe and Come Dancing are the two fastest horses. I agree with Molly Joe on the concerns with Come Dancing, which is why I am more bullish on Kofefe. My struggle with, okay, the rail bothers me, shipping, maybe a question mark, three-year-old filly in the filly and mare sprint hasn't necessarily been a great angle. Those are all legitimate questions. I really have no strong opinion afterward, though. So is this a matter where if you don't like the two favorites, you chuck them and use them all? I could see that as a strategy, especially if you really like Omaha Beach and the Dirt Mile. But because I don't, from a multi-race perspective, I kind of feel like I'm going to take my stand with Kofefe and try to beat favorites elsewhere. Let's move to the turf, to the mile. Not the dirt mile. We'll get to the dirt mile. Let's go to the turf mile. And here you've got two fillies who were the headliners, got Stormy and Uni. But now you've got Circus Maximus with a real European threat here. It's not been the best year for Aiden O'Brien. Molly, do you trust Circus Maximus here? Not in any way, shape, size, or form, and not at that price. Just in case you're wondering if I have an opinion. You know, he is a a phenomenally talented horse. We know this. Um, I like that Ryan Moore, you know, gets on him, stays on him. Interestingly, by the way, talking about Aiden not having a great year, I was shocked when I looked at the formulator stat. Aiden and Ryan are only 4% together. That seems crazy to me. I feel like they've had had bigger horses uh, or bigger, more wins than that. But anyway, the concern for me is, you know, I get that when Aiden ships over, he puts Lasix in the horses. That's normal. But blinkers on and Lasix, this horse won the, the Prix de Moulin with no blinks. His three starts with blinkers before that, yeah, he won the St. James in the Sussex, or he was second in the Sussex by a half, but I don't love the, like, ship him over and change all the things. That, to me, feels like a little, a, a little too much on, a, on an already talented horse, especially when you have really consistent horses like Uni and like Got Stormy. And I am, for the record, all over Got Stormy in here. I think she is an absolute freak of nature. Uh, and I think if you, if you want a horse that's going to be an upset, especially for the exotics, a horse like El Tormenta... They come by the home stretch in the Rico Woodbine Mile. Luke Cullen is in the clear down the outside. Emmaus up the rails. They're all across the track. And El Tormenta coming through. Got Stormy's in front to second El Tormenta. Luke Cullen is there. Raging Bull starting to build a run late. In the lead is Got Stormy the Philly. But El Tormenta up the inside. Stride to stride. El Tormenta on the inside in front. And El Tormenta has won the Rico Woodbine Mile. That would by mile was not a fluke. This is a horse who has been in the zone all year. And if you're if you're looking for a price and you're looking for a talented horse in a fairly wide open field, uh, I think El Tormenta is going to be super interesting. That would be a storybook ending for jockey Eureka Rosa da Silva, who will be retiring, as you know, having worked on the Woodbine simulcast. Now, what about Uni, Ed? We were talking about trying to figure out how the track is going to play on the Friday card. I mean, Uni's a closer. Do you think there's a better chance of closing on the turf than on the dirt? And therefore, what chance does she have? Yeah, I think from a pace 
perspective, she should have enough to run into. Uh, the, the question, of course, in these full fields is getting the room and getting the trip more than the run. She is my top pick uh, with Scott Stormy right with her. So I, I do think the, the females cover this race if you're trying to get by on a narrow ticket. Uh, but I do think Uni is the one to beat. Chad Brown is a tactician. He commands a powerful turf stable, and he knows where he's, he's placing his horses. And the presence of without parole, uh, I find interesting uh, with him having Uni as well. And that actually gives the fact that he put him in here gives me more confidence in Uni. To be honest, I'm with the, the two females, and, and Molly Joe set it all on Circuits Maximus. It's three to one morning line. I want no part. Two others in here that. Interest me, Molly LeCullen for Kieran McLaughlin, won the Knickerbocker last out, wasn't sure he'd get in, looked really good. And one from Europe, Lord Glitters, at 10 to 1, won at Royal Ascot, didn't run well a couple of weeks ago on the wet ground, but we'll probably get Lasix, like you were saying, of the Ballydoyle horses and all the European ones. What do you think of both of them, LeCullen and Lord Glitters? You know, I took a long, hard look at LaCullen in here, especially as an exotics play, because, and I think we all agree, you know, got Stormy and Uni kind of tower over this field. And, you know, I, and I know the Euros are all high on Circus Maximus. I've, I've heard several folks say they think he's actually the best of the European contingent to come over. If you're looking for a horse to, to run big underneath, as I said, I, I, I'm, I'm on the uh, El Tormenta bandwagon too. Lou Cullen is interesting. This is a horse who's had a very good year. Kieran, you know, we talk about Chad being a tactician. Kieran certainly is as well, and, and Kieran is such a good horseman. And to bring a horse off a year-plus layoff, he was off from May of 18 to July of, of 2019. This horse has been, but for a length behind Tormenta and Stormy, perfect. And, uh, you know, four, you know, three wins in, in four starts this year. I think Luke Cullen is super interesting. Another one of those where if he gets the trip, we kind of talk about it with Uni too. You know, if Luke Cullen can get the trip, I see him up there at, at, at the end. Lord Glitters, a lot of times when these Euros ship over, you do sometimes have to toss a race. It happens. Another horse who, like, you know, it sounds funny to say, always runs his race. You know, I like that, that Jamie Spencer gets the call. I think he's an interesting horse. I do think he's much better at a flat mile. He's one of those Euros that's probably going to hit the board and we're going to go, oh, yeah, okay, well, that, that made sense. And yeah, okay, well, you know, we cashed a ticket. But I, I couldn't put Lord Glitters anywhere near the top, but I do think he's a, a useful pony. Yeah, I mean, the, the question there is, can he run around a turn as well as he runs straight? Because the Royal Ascot race was straight. And, you know, I would say if you remember um, Lady Aurelia, I mean, she ran much better straight than she did around a turn. That's my question with Lord Glitters. But I'm with you. I think she has a chance that he has a chance to hit the board here. And now we start to get to the heavy duty racing with all due respect at everything that came before. And let's end this segment with the dirt mile. Down at the rail, Omaha Beach is very close. Omaha Beach firing a big shot in his comeback as the field turns for home. Shanslot, Omaha Beach is coming with good-looking strides down at the rail. Shanslot fully extended, trying to fend off the classy Omaha Beach. Shanslot digging in. Omaha Beach at the rail is coming to him. Shanslot, Omaha Beach, Omaha Beach, Omaha Beach. What a training job by Richard Mandela as he wins the Santa Anita Sprint Championship. 
And, Ed, we got to start with the big question. Can Omaha Beach win off just one prep in six months and a hard prep at that? Obviously can win. I'm betting against winning. The hype is just way out of control for me. I just can't believe the, the effervescent uh, words that are being used on a daily basis to describe this horse's every move. Uh, and with it, the money seems to be following. So I have to play against. Uh, now, From you know, that's all sort of theoretical thoughts. But just practically, as you said, Barry, that sprint championship against Chancellot was a huge performance. And now coming back four weeks later, stretching out to the two-turn mile, against grade one types, I'm willing to I'm willing to play that he regresses, and that won't be good enough to win against these. Uh, and I like a few uh, long shots. Fun to run intrigued me, and Diamond Oops ran huge in a turf mile last out at Keeneland and has the number power to compete here at the two-turn dirt mile. This is a really compelling race, and if Omaha Beach wins, what a job by Richard Mandela, but it just seems a bridge too far for my money. So Spun to Run, who ran that huge race at Parks in October, you don't think he's going to bounce to the moon? I mean, I'm a little concerned, but I'm getting a much better price than Omaha Beach, so you know that's on my thought process. But I loved Spun to Run in the Pennsylvania Derby, and that didn't work out. So I'm, you know, a little bit, a little bit of cold feet, maybe trying him again in this spot. Some. Some questions, but with Omaha Beach and Improbable in there, and I'm against both, uh, you're getting the right price on any other opinion. Hey, Molly, do you trust either Cold Front or Mr. Money? I mean, Cold Front did win in Dubai in March. He did, and it was it was a nice win. And by the way, I'm 100% with Ed on Omaha Beach. One thing, and there's actually a couple horses, a couple short-priced horses that this applies to on both Friday and Saturday cards. One thing about bringing a horse back off a layoff is you have all the time in the world to get that horse right, and then you've got to turn around and keep him right. And that's not easy. And and take nothing away from Papa Mandela. He's phenomenal. But I see Omaha Beach regressing as well. One thing I think that's also interesting is Omaha Beach had tieback surgery. This horse had a, had a breathing issue. He didn't have a bone issue. We're talking about, you know, Mandela's training job being spectacular, which it is. Take nothing away from it. But... It's not like he brought the horse back off a bad leg. And I think that that, to me, you know, when we talk about, you know, all the superlatives being used with Omaha Beach, that, to me, is is one of the weirdest things about it. But, you know, Mr. Money, Brett Calhoun is a master, very much like Brad Cox with, with Kofefe. These are guys who, who it's cool to see getting big horses on the big stage because they've put in the time and they've been, you know, these journeyman trainers for so long. I don't really want to touch Mr. Money or or Cole Front. Um, my money is going to go actually to Blue Chipper. Into the straight in the career sprint. And it is Gallon Chap and Blue Chipper. They lead by about three lengths. Blue Chipper and Gallon Chap, they're going nose to nose. Gallon Chap on the far side. Blue Chipper on this side. It's Blue Chipper from Gallon Chap and Blue Chipper has ground Gallon Chap down. And Blue Chipper is going on to win the career sprint. Blue Chipper wins it. Uh, I think there's a horse that is in fine, fine, fine form. Who knows what he's been running against overseas, but I don't know. This is a very, very, very weird race. I think it's going to be, I think to me, the dirt mile is the race where we go, oh, that horse won. Okay. Blue Chipper was featured on our program last week, so we're certainly paying attention to him. Why do you pay attention to Blue Chipper? 
a horse who has run one bad race in his entire career. It was his debut. It was the only time he was ever off the board. As I said, who knows what he's been running against, but when you're winning by 13 and 12 and 6 and 10, even a, a length and a quarter uh, in, in the grade one Korea sprint, all this horse knows how to do is win. He's beautifully bred. You know, I know he's been running overseas, but he's a Kentucky bred with a beautiful pedigree. Um, he's, he's just a really intriguing, it's just, it's one of those horses where if you don't love Omaha beach and you're willing to, to take a stand, you're willing to, you know, maybe question improbable. And it's a pretty wide open field. Other than that, why not have an upset? When we saw it with Mongolian Saturday a few years ago, this horse to me kind of gives me Mongolian Saturday vibes. Don't go anywhere, because just after the break, we're going to get to the marquee races here on In the Gate. It's time for Dunbar Road to take on Midnight Bizu in the distaff. And, of course, will McKenzie have the staying power to last a mile and a quarter in the big one? Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. It is a fascinating race, maybe the best one of the Breeders' Cup card, one of my favorites every year, the Sprint. And this one, there are some heavy hitters, a serious race, one that reminds us of the Met Mile, even though we just talked about the Dirt Mile. The Met Mile had six grade one winners in it, and the winner was Matoli. And they're at the top of the stretch. Matoli promises fulfilled. Cold front cuts the corner. Thunder snow moves between horses. Firenze fire is there. McKenzie has no place to go. He's in traffic with a furlong to run. And Matoli to catch. Here's Thunder Snow coming through an opening on the inside. McKenzie with a late path, but it's Matoli. He did it again. Matoli wins the run happy mid mile. Well, this one has some serious contenders in it, and one of those is Matoli. So let's start with Ed here. I think the biggest question in the sprint is who is going to make the early lead? Will it be Matoli, Chancelot, or Imperial Hint? And how much will that dictate how this race is run? I think it's uh, Chancelot, and, and I agree with you. This is the race of the weekend. I mean, the, the classic, you know, obviously with its purse and prestige, but in terms of top-to-bottom talent, this sprint is just unbelievable. I, I think uh, the cat-and-mouse game becomes between Matoli and Imperial Hint and who wants to make first run, and then you have Catalina Cruiser, who's going to be hanging out down on the rail, uh, and going to have to make a move at some point when he gets an opening. So that adds to the compelling nature of the race. I think Chancelot can take them all the way. I think in the sprint championship, uh, if they had that one back, they probably would have tried to spurt away from Omaha Beach and not kept him in the race as much. Uh, for me, it comes down to Chancelot and Imperial Hint. As awesome as Matoli is as the favorite, I think I can play against him here with the, the depth of talent that's around him. So it's either Chancellor Gates of Wire or Imperial Hank getting first run on the rest. Wow, Molly. He's talking about betting against a horse that won the Met Mile against five other grade one winners. That's tough. Where are you going in this race? I, you know, it's interesting. We see this race very, very, very similarly. Matoli cutting back to six or getting back to six is really, really, really interesting. He's a horse who who's loves that. He, he loves this distance. He's just so darn good. And he is a horse, you know, when we talk about, you know, who's going to get first run, Matoli is one of the few speed horses in here who actually has proven he can rate a little bit when, when you look back. 
he actually is able to sit off of it and pounce. And I think that that's going to help him. You know, I have learned over the last couple of years, Catalina Cruiser is a horse that if I don't mention, he will win like he has the last three starts. So, you know, Catalina Cruiser is a horse who it just, this is, this is home for him. Uh, I think he's interesting if you want a horse at a little bit of a price and you don't want to take one of the more obvious horses. Take nothing away from Chancelot. He is an absolutely phenomenal horse. I do. I agree with Ed. I, I think if they could, they would have. They would have uh, run the uh, the sprint championship a bit differently. You know, this is one of these races where you have to go deep. I don't think you can just look at you know one or two horses. I do think Imperial Hint is super super interesting. You can tell I'm kind of all over the board on this one, all over the map. One horse that we haven't mentioned. Okay, his form isn't spectacular, but again, if you're playing exotics, do not dismiss Whitmore. This is a horse who, at six years old, is maybe not as good as he used to be, but uh, just always right there at the wire, always runs his race, is just super honest. And I I think if the race falls apart a bit, which it could with this many speedballs in there, I think a horse like Whitmore actually could wind up surprising everybody and taking it. Well, here's the thing. I mean, we were talking about how the track is going to play is the off-the-pace style of Imperial Hint or Whitmore going to be compromised on a track like Santa Anita? It might be. The cool thing about Santa Anita, as we've seen in Breeders' Cups of years past, is it's not just a super highway. You know, a lot of times at Churchill, you know, make the lead by the quarter pole, you got it, you know, or you can go wire to wire. The Santa Anita dirt will be fast, but it tends to play kind of fair. And I, I think... You know, for me, I'm willing to look at a horse who can, uh, if the pace falls apart, you know, come from behind and close and take it. And as if all of that isn't good enough, we have a couple of races that we're going to talk about yet. And one of them could easily involve a horse of the year discussion, the Distaff. If Midnight Bizu wins the Distaff and Bricks and Mortar wins the turf, who's the horse of the year? Well, let's start with the Distaff itself, with Midnight Bizu being the shortest priced favorite at six to five, I mean, is this an open and shut case, or do we have enough talent here to challenge her in a Dunbar Road and Blue Prize and Paradise Woods? What do you think of this race, Ed? Uh, I think we have enough talent to challenge Midnight Bisu. Now, she's answered every challenge, so a ton of respect. Seven for seven's incredible. She's done it at Sam Houston, Monmouth, uh, New York, Churchill, Oakland. Just incredible. Uh, but I've seen this before uh, and, and fallen for it where it's a long campaign and th- they don't all fire their best shot uh, at the end of the year. And she has champion older female wrapped up. No matter what happens, if he late wins the Breeders' Cup Classic, that doesn't matter. Midnight Bizu is the champion older female. But numbers-wise, and what I saw in the spinster I have to bat blue prize here. We're going to get three, four times the price on a mare who's shown she can run numbers that are faster than what Midnight Bizu has run this year. And that spinster was awesome. Blue Prize is fourth. Vexatious now fifth. A late, narrow lead. Blue Prize coming on. Dunbar Road is there to the inside. She's a Julie now fourth. Blue Prize, a late. Dunbar Road at the rail is third. Blue Prize ahead in front. A late is fighting on, but second. Blue Prize down to the line. Blue Prize repeats in the Judmont Spinster. I just have to bet what I saw at Keeneland. 
And again, at the price, I think Blue Prize is the way to go here. She was fourth in the distaff last year. What do we think, Molly, of Street Band and Dunbar Road here? I love that you asked me about Street Band. I love that, Philly. One thing that's interesting about Midnight Bees, and Ed talked about how much she's traveled and how much she's been on the on the East Coast this season. It's easy to forget that, by the way, Midnight Bisou is coming home. Santa Anita is where her career started. And I know there's some stuff with, you know, the, the trainer switch and all that. But I think Midnight Bisou is going to be very glad to be home. I do think it is possible to play against her, though, as Ed says. I have also fallen for this kind of form and late in the year and fallen, you know, campaign, long campaigns, et cetera. Um, I love Street Band. Um, I think she's a phenomenal filly. Uh, I think she is... Um, the great hope for the distaff division for next year. Uh, I think very much like we talk about Midnight Bizu and, and Elate, I think we're going to be talking about Street Band all year long next year. Uh, Larry Jones has just done a phenomenal job with this filly. Uh, gotta love um, the connection that Sophie Doyle has with her. She's a hard filly to, to, to knock. I mean, other than the Oaks, which wasn't actually all that bad of a race, um, you know, she has had a great year, four wins and seven starts. You know, maybe it's not the, the, the slew of grade ones that a couple others in here have. Um, you know, taking the Indiana Oaks is not exactly taking, you know, the Bell Dame. But, um, you know, I, I think Street Band is a filly you have to use. Uh, and like Ed said with, with Blue Prize, you're getting a legit price on a very nice filly. If I could uh, check real quick, since we uh, mentioned the other two three-year-olds, Serengeti Empress, the Oaks winner is here as well, and... Maybe going the wrong way, but I wouldn't discount Tom Amos after what he did going from the Fairgrounds Oaks to the Kentucky Oaks, and now we go from the Cotillion to here. And in addition to Midnight Bisu racing for maybe Horse of the Year, three-year-old Phillies on the line in this race as well. So a lot of compelling storylines. want to just throw one thing at you, though, Ed. You know, Tom Amos has had an illness for a little while. He had surgery and was out for a bit. Not sure how much he personally got to see Serengeti Empress train, and wonder if that makes a difference in preparing her for this race. Yeah, um, I would say my concern with that isn't necessarily that he wasn't there day day for day while he recovered. More that they did delay the work so he could be there, and I, I don't I didn't really understand why if if you had planned out a work that you, you couldn't still have done it. I mean, Tom travels enough and has strings in various parts of the country that I'm sure the barn could have taken care of it. So I hate to read too much into the illness and a missed work, but I understand your question and I think it's fair to weigh it in your handicapping. I think one thing on that that gets overlooked by a lot of handicappers is, and and I've managed grade one winners, these uh, these uh, campaigns are planned out. This is not like, you know, maybe it moves, you know, maybe you move a work because of, of crazy weather, those moments will crop up, you know, here and there. But to outright change an entire plan that has been on the calendar for months is definitely something to take a look at. And if you're on the fence about Serengeti Empress, you know, I think it's absolutely a reason to, you know, even move a little bit further off of her. You know, these are these campaigns are planned, they're thought out. You know, I sending a lot of love to Tom. He's he's a wonderful man and I hope he gets healthy. But it is definitely disconcerting when, and we see it a lot, we talk about it a lot going into the Derby uh, every year, that when you, cha- when you alter a plan outright, that does not feel right in my gut. Now, we talked about Midnight Bizu and 
potentially horse of the year if she wins the distaff. I don't want to spend too much time on the turf because I think you'll probably agree that bricks and mortar is about as close to a mortal lock on this Breeders' Cup card as there is. If he wins and she wins, who's horse of the year? Let's do that before we get to the classic. We'll start with Ed. Bricks and mortar for me, for sure. The collection of races against open company and international competition tip the scale in his his favor for me. Uh, but, but he does have to win, uh, which isn't to say if Midnight Bizu wins, I wouldn't, I would vote for her automatically because she hasn't faced open company, which is important to me. But bricks and mortar with the win clinches it. There's, there's no one else in the conversation if he wins. What do you think, Molly? How, how strong he feels about bricks and mortar is how strong I feel about Midnight Bizu. I, I take nothing away from, from what Bricks and Mortar has done. He's phenomenal, five for five, hopefully six for six after the turf. I don't think it's a cinch for him to win this. Midnight Bizu has danced every dance in every way. You know, she's just a, a freak of nature. I personally hate the, um, you know, she hasn't faced open company. I don't think you have to beat boys in order to be horse of the year. I've never thought that. I, I hate that argument. I think when you've done what she's done and her record and how she's done it, and you know, I, I just, to me, I think if Bizu wins, it's, it's hers hands down, no question. I think if Bricks and Mortar wins and she wins, I think it's going to be a really interesting debate we get to have for a couple months. And uh, I, as not having an Eclipse vote, I do not envy the, uh, the folks who are going to have to make that call. I think what's interesting about the the debate will be if uh, they both win and then Elate wins the Classic, that right. that would probably give Midnight Bizu the award. I tend to think Midnight Bizu, despite what Ed said, has faced some better competition. I mean, she's faced Dunbar Road and uh, horses like that where I don't know exactly what bricks and mortar has faced, with the possible exception of the Arlington Million uh, the turf here is not as strong, I think, as it is in Europe. I think anybody, all of us would agree with that. So we'll see what happens. But right now, I would probably give it to Midnight Bizu as well. And that brings us, of course, to the big one, the $6 million Breeders' Cup Classic with a favorite who a lot of people think has distance limitations in McKinsey. So that makes this a wide-open race. Molly, who do you like in the Classic? You know, this is a really interesting race. McKinsey reminds me a lot of Byron from a few years ago, you know, where, like, he seems logical, but, like, I don't know. It just, he's not, my gut isn't screaming McKenzie on this race. I am going to look for another horse. I do think Elate is the, probably the horse to beat in here, quite honestly. I mean, you know, you're getting a decent price. I I like that Mott's got, you know, both naturally drawn next to each other. I forgot that part. I have never been a huge Vino Rosso fan. I do think his last work at Belmont, um, there was some video of the gallop out that we saw, and that work was beautiful. So I think, you know, for once, I'm actually going to give kind of a nod. I'm going to take a, a quick look at Vino Rosso, especially because, you know, he has shipped out here and won before. You couldn't have loved Code of Honor more than me early in the year. I do not like him in here. The horse that I can't figure out is Yoshida. Here's a horse who distance is not going to be a question. He's maybe not the most consistent pony, but, you know, and he, he is a little bit trouble prone. I cannot for the life of me figure out how he's not won this far yet. Like, this is, and, and this is one of these races where, like, am I betting with my heart or my gut? 
my my heart wants to go to Yoshida, but I don't know. Form wise, I just can't quite get there, and I kind of a little bit feel the same with with War of Will. But I do think, as, as short of a price as McKinsey's going to be, I do think Elate is the horse to beat in here. Ed, we're all hanging on pins and needles. What do you like? I'm swinging here, uh, and I, I heard Molly Joe mention Yoshida any late, and the two Mots are my next tier, but Owendale is my top Ooh. pick. Wow. I think he is, yeah, you, you didn't know that. It was a big surprise. You hadn't heard that before, but <laughs> I think he's going the right way and, and reminds me of Street Band. Look good early three-year-old year. Like Street Band went to the Kentucky Oaks, Owendale went to the Preakness, and then they regroup from there, and it's just been all systems go. And in a classic field where we've had a lot of questions about the quality of the older horses, I like taking a three-year-old with some upside here and love that Brad Cox has taken a shot. Don't think the distance will be an issue. Comes in off a, a big win against three-year-olds, and at 20-1, to 15-1, I think he's worth the swing. I like higher power here. I mean, he ran a big race in the Pacific Classic, and he's had time to bounce back from the stumble in the awesome again. Molly, what do you think of higher power? I mean, John Sadler knows how to win the big one. He does. And, you know, the the good news for John is this is his home track. He's he's had, he struggled a little bit when, when Breeders' Cup isn't uh, in, in Southern California. I do have a question, though, for Ed. You're, you're high on Owendale. Brad Cox bringing this horse in. Isn't that the opposite argument you made on liking Cofese? Also, Brad Cox shipping in questionably, you know, a little bit later than some of the other folks. Uh, yes. Same question applies. I'm willing to completely ignore the question at 15 or 20 <laughs> to 1, whereas at 2 to 1 uh, in a race where, you know, Unique Bella didn't win. I mean, some good three-year-old fillies have, have not been able to get the job done. Uh, so that that weighs the concern. But I will say, by the classic, we'll know the kind of weekend Brad Cox has had. We'll know the kind of weekend most of all these shippers have had. If none of these horses who shipped in the week of the race have performed well, uh, even at 20 to 1, I, I would get off Owendale. But, uh, you know, if I see any glimmer of hope from the Cox barn, the, the price will be right. This is journalism at its best, people. Holding people accountable. That's right. Let's not throw out seeking the soul. You can do that at your own peril. 30 to 1, Dallas Stewart. Did somebody say commanding curve? Did somebody say golden soul? Seeking the soul, by the way, has looked phenomenal this week. Um, take, you know, Dallas Stewart, one of the finest horsemen in the business, and, and certainly you know known for being kind of the, the, the long shot upset, especially exotic-wise. But 20 to 1, decent form. I mean, his win in the Foster was, you know, pretty. You know, he's certainly faced a lot of these horses. Uh, I like that Brian Hernandez stays on him. There's some questions on the form, but if you want the best-looking pony on the grounds this week, Seeking the Soul certainly is, is one that's, that's up there contending for the title. Great to hear your voices. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I really appreciate being yeah. on. Yeah, really fun. 
Well, we hope we've given you something to think about as you head into the Breeders' Cup World Championships for the 36th time. First run in 1984. This is the 10th one held at Santa Anita. Thanks so much to our guests, Molly Joe Rosen and Ed DeRosa. Remember, you can get us on YouTube, SoundCloud, TuneIn.com, or your podcatcher app, and of course, in the Listen tab at ESPN.com. And we want to make sure you vote for us in the Fan Choice Awards at AmericasBestRacing.net. It happens right after the Breeders' Cup. And yes, Best Racing Podcast is one of the categories. So you know what to do, ITG Army. If you like this show, vote for us in the Fan Choice Awards at AmericasBestRacing.net. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's in the gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. Enjoy the Breeders' Cup. 